The personal stories expressed in this series reflect the true experiences and opinions of the guests and may not represent the official position of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Elder M. Russell Ballard of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles has said, There is hope for the addicted, and this hope comes through the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ and by humbling oneself before God, pleading to be freed of the bondage of addiction and offering our whole soul to Him in fervent prayer. Priesthood leaders can help as those who have addiction seek counsel from them. Where necessary, they can refer them to qualified licensed counselors and LDS family services. The addiction recovery program adapted from the original 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous is readily available through LDS Family Services. In this series, you will hear actual meetings discussing each of the gospel principles of addiction recovery and healing. Addiction recovery meetings have strict guidelines of confidentiality and anonymity. These podcasts may seem contradictory to such standards. All the participants in these meetings are active participants in the addiction recovery program and have willingly volunteered to participate. Their experiences are genuine and not fabricated. These recordings were created with the express purpose of providing a way for individuals who are isolated from recovery groups to participate, as well as provide an example to church leaders and members of a typical meeting. In today's meeting, we will discuss Step 1, Honesty. Welcome to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Addiction Recovery Meeting. I'm Elder Ennis and I am serving as missionary group leader this evening. would like to ask everybody to please turn off your cell phones and your pagers so we do not have that interruption this evening. Uh, we don't have any announcements, so would somebody please volunteer for an opening prayer? I will. Thank you. Our dear, kind, and gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before Thee this evening in our group meeting, we would ask that Thy Spirit be here with us, that we will be able to feel that spirit and we will be able to share one with another our struggles and trials and also our triumphs as we share our addiction recovery with one another. We thank the Heavenly Father for all of the love and understanding that Thou gives into us as we go through these trials, trials and struggles and we thank thee for that loving kindness that thou gives unto us for the loving hand that thou puts round and about us we say these things humbly in the name of jesus christ amen amen Amen. thank you at the beginning of all of our meetings we always like to start out with the mission statement and that is the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints addiction recovery meetings assist those who desire to recover from addiction we also welcome family and friends whose lives may be affected by the addiction of another We are a group of brothers and sisters who share our experience, faith, and hope as we study and apply the principles of the gospel as they correlate with the 12 steps of recovery. Our meetings provide a safe place for honest sharing because we adhere to the principles of confidentiality and anonymity, and we use appropriate language and behavior to invite the Spirit to be with us. As we practice these 12 steps in our lives, we receive power through the Atonement of Jesus Christ to overcome addiction and receive the full blessings of the gospel. Family and friends who practice these same 12 steps will also find hope and healing for themselves. 
We will now go around the room and read each of the 12 steps found on page Roman numeral number four within your manual. Before we get into reading the steps, we'd like to take a moment and go around the room and introduce one another. And we will start here at my left and we will go clockwise from there. Hi, Sharon. I'm an addict. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Sharon. My name is Karen and I'm a recovering drug addict. Hi, Karen. Hi, Karen. I'm Lindsay. I'm an addict and an alcoholic. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. I'm Scott, and I'm, a, I'm addicted to pornography. Hi, Scott. Hi, Scott. My name's Cammie, and I'm a recovering addict. Hi, Hi Cammie. Cammie. My name's Scott, and I'm a recovering addict and alcoholic. Hi, Hi Scott. Scott. I'm Abra. I'm a recovering addict. Hi, Hi Abra. Abra. I'm Robert, and I'm an addict and alcoholic. Hi, Robert. Hi, Robert. Thank you. We invite each person who is willing to read one step. It is perfectly acceptable to pass if you prefer to listen only. This time we'll start to my right and go counterclockwise. Step one, admit that you of yourself are powerless to overcome your addictions and that your life has become unmanageable. Step two, come to believe that the power of God can restore you to complete spiritual health. Step three, decide to turn your will and your life over to the care of God, the Eternal Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. Step four, make a searching and fearless written moral inventory of yourself. Step five, admit to yourself, to your Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ, to proper priesthood authority, and to another person the exact nature of your wrongs. Step six, become entirely ready to have God remove all your character weaknesses. Step seven, humbly ask Heavenly Father to remove your shortcomings. Step eight, make a written list of all persons you have harmed and become willing to make restitution to them. Step 9. Wherever possible, make direct restitution to all persons you have harmed. Step 10. Continue to take personal inventory, and when you are wrong, promptly admit it. Step 11. Seek through prayer and meditation to know the Lord's will and have the power to carry it out. Step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of the atonement of Jesus Christ, share this message with others and practice these principles in all you do. Thank you. Each week, we focus on a different step. This week, we'll read Step 1, starting on page 1, from a guide to addiction recovery and healing. We will go around the room, and each person who is willing may read one or two paragraphs. You may pass if you prefer to listen. We have an extra copy of the guide for you to use in this meeting in case you do not have one. During the reading, listen for thoughts, feelings, and experiences you have in common with those who have taken these steps. Who would like to begin the reading? I will. Honesty. Key principle. Admit that you of yourself are powerless to overcome your addictions and that your life has become unmanageable. Many of us began our addictions out of curiosity. Some of us became involved because of a justifiable need for a prescription drug or as an act of deliberate rebellion. Many began this path when barely older than children. Whatever our motive for starting and our circumstances, we soon discovered that the addiction relieved more than just physical pain. It provided stimulation or numbed painful feelings or moods. It helped us avoid the problems we faced, or so we thought. For a while, we felt free of fear, worry, loneliness, discouragement, regret, or boredom. But because life is full of the conditions that prompt these kinds of feelings— we resorted to our addictions more and more often. 
Still, most of us failed to recognize or admit that we had lost the ability to resist and abstain on our own. As Elder Russell M. Nelson of the Quorum of the Twelve observed, addiction surrenders later freedom to choose. Through chemical means, one can literally become disconnected from his or her from his or her own will. Rarely do people caught in addictive behaviors admit to being addicted. To deny the seriousness of our condition and to avoid detec- detection and the consequences of our choices, we tried to minimize or hide our behaviors. We did not realize that by deceiving others and ourselves, we slipped deeper into our addictions. As our powerlessness over addiction increased, many of us found fault with family, friends, church leaders, and even God. We plunged into greater and greater isolation, separating ourselves from others, especially from God. When we as addicts resorted to lies and secrecy, hoping to excuse ourselves or blame others, we weakened spiritually. With each act of dishonesty, we bound ourselves with flaxen cords that soon became as strong as chains. Then a time came when we were brought face to face with reality. We could no longer hide our addictions by telling one more lie or saying, it's not that bad. A loved one, a doctor, a judge, or an ecclesiastical leader told us the truth we no longer could deny. The addiction was destroying our lives. When we honestly looked at the past, we admitted that nothing we had tried on our own had worked. We acknowledged that the addiction had only gotten worse. We realized how much our addictions had damaged relationships and robbed us of any sense of worth. At this point, we took the first step toward freedom and recovery by finding courage to admit that we were not just dealing with a problem or a bad habit. We finally admitted the truth that our lives had become unmanageable and that we needed help to overcome our addictions. The amazing thing about this honest realization of defeat was that recovery finally began. The Book of Mormon prophet Ammon plainly stated the truth we discovered when we were finally honest with ourselves. I do not boast in my own strength nor in my own wisdom, but behold, my joy is full. Yea, my heart is brim with joy, and I will rejoice in my God. Yea, I know that I am nothing. As to my strength, I am weak. Therefore, I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of my God, for in his strength I can do all things. Thank you. These 12 steps are a program of action. As we read the section called Action Steps, we learn about recovery and gospel actions we can take to come unto Christ and receive power to live in recovery from addiction. Continue reading the Action Steps. Become willing to abstain. Even though people's addictions are different, some truths like this one never vary. Nothing begins without an individual's will to make it begin. Freedom from addiction and cleanliness begin with a tiny flicker of will. People say individuals finally become willing to abstain when the pain of the problem becomes worse than the pain of the solution. Have you come to that point? If you have not and you continue in your addiction, you surely will reach that point because addiction is a progressive problem. Like a degenerative disease, it eats at your ability to function normally. The only requirement to begin recovery is the desire to stop participating in the addiction. If your desire is small and inconsistent today, don't worry, it will grow. Some people recognize the need to be free from addiction but are not willing to begin. If you are in the situation, perhaps you can begin by acknowledging your unwillingness and considering the cost of your addiction. 
you can list what is important to you. Look at your family and social relationships, your relationship to God, your spiritual strength, your ability to help and bless others, your health. Then look for contradictions between what you believe and hope for and your behavior. Consider how your actions undermine what you value. You can pray that the Lord will help you see yourself and your life as he sees it with all your divine potential and what you risk by continuing in your addiction. A recognition of what you you lose by indulging in your addiction can help you find the desire to stop. If you can find even the smallest desire, you will have the room to begin step one. And as you progress through the steps of this program and see the changes that come into your life, your desire will grow. Let go of pride and seek humility. Pride and honesty cannot coexist. Pride is illusion and is an essential element of all addiction. Pride distorts the truth about things as they are, as they have been, and as they will be. It is a major obstacle to your recovery. President Ezra Taft Benson defined pride. Pride is a very misunderstood sin. Most of us think of pride as self-centeredness, conceit, boastfulness, arrogance, or haughtiness. All of these are elements of the sin, but the heart or core is still missing. The great central feature of pride is enmity, enmity towards God and enmity towards our fellow men. Enmity means hatred towards, hostility to, or a state of opposition. It is the power by which Satan wishes to reign over us. Pride is essentially competitive in nature. We pit our will against God's will. When we direct our pride toward God, it is in the spirit of my will and not thine be done. Our will in competition to God's will allows desires, appetites, and passions to go unbridled. The proud cannot accept the authority of God giving direction to, to their lives. They pit their perceptions of truth against God's great knowledge, their abilities versus God's priesthood power, their accomplishments against His mighty works. As you become willing to abstain and admit the problems you face, your pride will gradually be replaced with humility. Admit the problem, seek help, attend meetings. When we indulged our addictions, we lied to ourselves and others, but we could not really fool ourselves. We pretended we were fine, full of bravado and excuses, but somewhere deep inside we knew. The light of Christ continued to remind us. We knew we were sliding down a slippery slope towards greater and greater sorrow. Denying this truth was such hard work that It was a big relief, finally, to admit that we had a problem. Suddenly, we allowed a tiny opening for hope to slip in. When we choose to admit to ourselves that we had a problem and we became willing to seek support and help, we gave that hope a place to grow. We were then ready to to take the next step of attending recovery meetings. Participation in a support group or a recovery meeting may not be feasible for everyone. If you cannot attend a recovery meeting, you can still follow each of the steps with minor modifications as you work with your bishop or a carefully chosen professional counselor. When attendance at a recovery meeting is possible, you will find it helpful for at least two reasons. First, at these meetings, you will study specific gospel principles that, when applied, will help you change your behavior. President Boyd K. Packer of the Quorum of the Twelve taught, The study of the doctrines of 
the gospel will improve behavior quicker than a study of behavior will improve behavior. Preoccupation with unworthy behavior can lead to unworthy behavior. That is why we stress so forcefully the study of the doctrines of the gospel. Second, these meetings are a place to gather with others seeking recovery and with those who have already taken this path and are living proof of its effectiveness. In recovery meetings, you will find understanding, hope, and support. We will now turn the time over to our facilitator, Robert, to conduct the sharing portion of our meeting. Thank you, Elder Ennis. Uh, my name is Robert. Hi, Hi Robert. Robert. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm honored to be among you. Uh, I was a practicing addict for 10 years of my life. Uh, my sobriety date is uh, April 1st, April Fool's Day, 1996. Kind of a fitting day, if you will. So I have uh, 16 plus years of sobriety. And the reason I mention that is not necessarily to boast, but uh, but as a way of celebrating my time, I think it's really important that you celebrate your sobriety, how much time you've got, because my experience tells me that the more time you have, the easier it is to get over your addictions. But in any event, uh, for the first five years of my addiction, I was in total denial. Uh, I'm reminded of the uh, statement here in the guidebook. Uh, we could no longer hide our addictions by telling one more lie or by saying it's not that bad because I said it's not that bad or who am I hurting? Lots of different, uh, lots of different excuses. But all addicts uh, are pretty much master manipulators and uh, I did my best for a long time. My family finally did an intervention and uh, I went to, to a treatment facility, not just once, but three times. World's slowest learner, I can promise you. But I really didn't want to be an addict, and uh, I tried really hard not to be one. Um, I was a good student in, in therapy. I read the material. I raised my hand. I had the answers. But still, I couldn't stay clean, and I couldn't figure out why. I used to do a lot of AA. I would go into AA meetings, and I would see people come off, literally come off the street, and I would say to myself, well, these people will never make it because clearly they are not good material for forever recovering, I would immediately judge them and uh, make that kind of a, a judgment upon them. But and as time went by, I would watch them, and uh, and pretty soon, uh, I mean, they were getting better, and I wasn't, and I didn't understand that till much later. Towards the end of this period of time, my life just took a nosedive, as, as it always does. It just goes in a straight line down, and I found myself uh, put in jail, I mean, for addicts, sometimes there's only two ways to go. Either you die or you go to jail. For me, it probably saved my life. And I spent 64 days in the old Salt Lake City County Jail. It was a humbling experience, and um, I found that that's the one thing I lacked. Before I went in, or as I went in, I, I cursed the judge. Uh, this is a judge I had appeared before many times as a lawyer, and uh, I didn't know they did that to lawyers. Very disappointed. <laughs> but... Uh, so I, I was mad at everybody and refused to take any kind of personal responsibility for my, my problems. So I spent the first uh, 15 to 30 days in jail just being really mad. I did not trust God. I, did not, I didn't believe he would help me. I, I was hopeless. I was hopelessly addicted and hopeless. And I really bought into the lie that Satan um, 
that, that Satan propounds to all of us that somehow we are not, we have no worth, that our lives, uh, we have made so many mistakes, and trust me, I made a lot of them. I uh, committed some grievous sins, no question about it, but, but I felt like there must be, I must have some peculiar character defect that pre- prohibits me from, from getting sober, because I really tried. I didn't understand why I couldn't do it. And then I remembered these, uh, these people I had met in AA, and what, what the difference was, and then I finally determined through this process of, of being in jail that what they had that I didn't have was humility. In virtually all these steps, I think the most prized commodity of all is humility. And by humility, not just being humble and submissive, and, uh, but a willingness to surrender, completely surrender your will to that of your Father in heaven. And I could never do that. Uh, not only was I prideful, but uh, also arrogant at that point in my life. And But I, in jail, you don't have a whole lot to do. You can, uh, so I had some time to think about my predicament. And uh, so I began doing some things I hadn't done in a long, long time. I began to have, uh, say my prayers. But initially they were just like, you know, why me, Lord? Uh, poor me. Um, I didn't deserve this. Uh, get me out of here. That was, those were my first prayers. And as time went on, I began to read the scriptures again, which I hadn't done for a long time. Uh, just a kernel of hope began to swell up in my heart that maybe, perhaps, there was hope and that there could be some, you know, I could, could recover. And I remember the thing that made a really big impact. I had my daughter send me some LDS hymns that I, I've always liked LDS hymns. And one of the hymns she sent was one that you all be familiar with. It's, I stand all amazed. Second verse of I Stand All Amazed, it says, um, I marvel that he would descend from his throne divine to rescue a soul so rebellious and proud as mine. This made a really heavy impact on my heart because I remember that the Savior <clears throat> didn't come necessarily to heal those who were already righteous. He came to heal the sick. And as addicts, alcoholics, or subject to some other addiction, uh, we are certainly sick. So from that point forward, I think my uh, the repentance process uh, accelerated substantially, and uh, my prayers became more sincere, my remorse became more palpable. I was able to uh, feel the pain of, of, of my actions over these many years. And I decided, well, okay, let's. Uh, they didn't have church services there, but I could make an appointment with the branch president. And uh, so I went in and did a step five, which is a confession step. And a most uh, miraculous thing happened. Uh, as addicts, we all carry around more garbage and more, more burdens than we know what to do with. Uh, the shame and guilt that we carry around, it's just, it's no wonder we use. We can't stand the pain. But I went in and made a full confession first to my Father in Heaven on my knees and went in and did the same thing to this poor branch president who had no clue what he was about to hear. He was a younger fellow. Sure, it was a bit of a surprise, but um, the miracle of my recovery, brothers and sisters, is that once that was done, 
uh, all of a sudden it was almost instantaneous. This burden of guilt and shame was just absolutely simply removed, gone. It was just simply taken away. Now, nobody was more surprised than I was. Secondly, as I left that jail, uh, I never once had a temptation thereafter to use alcohol or drugs for over 16 years now. So he removed the, he removed the addiction. I heard in a meeting the other night that, uh, well, you're always, we're always going to be subject to these temptations, and I don't believe that. I, th- I believe that, that they, they can be removed absolutely just as a, a surgeon may, with a scalpel, cut out a tumor, that this addiction can be cut out as well. The other complete surprise to me is that I was forgiven of my sins. Now, I just did not think that was possible. Um, I thought I would have to fast for the rest of my life and go around in sackcloth and ashes and, and that maybe, maybe someday that my sins could be forgiven. But what I learned was is that the Lord is anxious and willing to forgive you of your sins. He can't wait to do it. If we'll just do our part, crack open that door and let him in. I testify of the healing power of the atonement. I, used to, I, I think I thought of that principle as sort of an abstract concept before I went through this experience, but I know it to be real, not just for forgiveness of sin, but for everything we do in our lives. We can tap into that power. And I so testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you, Robert. Robert. For those of you who have joined us since uh, the meeting began, we welcome you. We will now begin the sharing portion of the meeting. Share about your personal recovery experience as it relates to the tools of recovery. This week's step or the step you're currently working on. Please focus your sharing on the solution rather than the problem. Refrain from mentioning graphic details about the practice of your addiction. Remember, crosstalk, which is interrupting or commenting directly about another participant's remarks, is not appropriate. Also, it is perfectly acceptable to pass if you would prefer to listen only. Confidentiality and anonymity foster honesty and make this a safe place to share. Therefore, whom you see here, what you hear here, when you leave here, let it stay here. We will conclude the sharing portion five minutes before the end of the meeting at uh, approximately five to nine for final thoughts from Elder or Sister Ennis. Time is now yours to share your experience, faith, and hope. We invite you to share three to five minutes. I will give you a signal if you have used your full time for sharing. In this meeting, we will proceed clockwise, person to person around the room after the first volunteer. Who would like to begin the sharing? I will. Thank you. Hi, I'm Abra. Hi, Abra. I'm a recovering addict. I um, have to tell you, you know, sometimes coming to these meetings, um, you get ready to come to your meeting and you get on your way. And I'm a person that's early for everything. My mom tells me I'll be early for my own funeral. And so I get on my way to the meeting tonight and I just get in this little fender bender. And I'm thinking, really, can anything else go possibly wrong in my life? And so I get my information out to give it to the lady. And she just grabs my insurance card and gets in her car and drives off. And I'm thinking, really, are you serious? So <laughs> I'm thinking, really? So, of course, I call my mother and I say, Mother, I don't think anything else can possibly go wrong in my life right now. And she says, you need to just pray because you need to go to that meeting tonight. And I said, well, okay. So, I, of course, I said a prayer. And she said the prayer I was driving, and I had the phone on speaker. And 
she, she says, okay, you're going to be fine. Just go to your meeting. And I said, you know, sometimes my life just really seems like it's just still out of control. And I've been clean for almost 11 years. And I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? This is just crazy. And she says, no, she says, you know, the devil doesn't care if you've been clean for one day or, or 10 years. He still wants to stop you from doing good things. And, and I said, you know, sometimes I hate it when you're right. So here I am. I was uh, just almost late and I hate that. I hate being almost late. I want to be early for everything. She's right. I'll be early for my own funeral. But, you know, step one for me, um, honesty and, you know, deciding that my life was out of control was not my own decision. Um, I had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and the doctor looked at me and said, if you drink again, if you do drugs again, you'll die. And I said, oh, well, okay then. I guess I'm not ever going to be doing that again. And uh, my husband said, well, I guess... If you have to quit, so do I. And I said, that's right, because I'm not going to let you do it and me not. So, of course, he had to quit. And uh, that was almost 11 years ago, my sweet husband. And and so within the first, I, I don't know, two months, I was like, look at all this money we have. <laughs> because I wasn't spending all this money on alcohol and 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 using. And, and uh, within six months, we went out and bought a truck. We pay cash for it. And I was like, we spent all this money on on alcohol. And I mean, my husband was drinking a uh, 24-pack of beer and a, and a fifth of tequila every night. I mean, he was really an alcoholic. And, and I thought, you know, if we should have done this years ago. We, look at what we've done to ourselves. We could have bought a house. So I actually sat down... Um, not this time on step one, but last time, and calculated the money that we would have, that we would that we spent in the ten years that we used, and we could have bought a house, just outright bought a house with the money that we spent. And uh, my husband was like, "Really? Or oh, you know what? What were we doing?" And I said, "Well, we obviously weren't doing the right things." And uh, I just, I just think. You know, it took it took Heavenly Father just... I'm one of those people that has to be smacked on the head a couple times before I listen. I don't know if y'all are the same way, but, you know, Heavenly Father had to just really just, you know, take that lightning bolt and smack me with it because I wasn't listening. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that, that he did. I don't know that I liked the way he had to do it, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm so grateful that I'm, that I'm sober and that I'm coming to these meetings and um even after I've been coming to meetings for three years and and when I came the first time I thought I don't need to go to meetings I've been sober a long time and of course you come and you go oh my gosh look at all these things in my life that I'm still screwing up with and and um which of course I I was and and uh so I've been coming to meetings and and I say to my husband, come to meetings. And he goes, I'm sober. I don't need meetings. So I'm still working on him, but he'll start coming someday. And, uh, but I, you know, I, I think back and I think, wow, how did I ever get sober and not come to meetings? And, and I think it was just the threat of, you know, of, of, of death. And that's what it was. I, I knew that I would die. And, 
And my heavenly father, I, I prayed to him one time and I said, I'm so sorry that it took you having to threaten my life. And I knew that's what it was because I would never have stopped. And it was the only way he knew that I would stop. And I am so grateful that he loved me enough to um, love me almost to death. And, and I thank him for that. And, and it's so hard to say, you know, some people look at me and go, how can you say that? And I, I said, you know what? It's the only thing that saved my life because I wouldn't be here now if he hadn't have done that for me. And I'm grateful that I came to these meetings and I found out I'm a raging codependent and which I'm working on. And, you know, I, I'm much better about those kinds of things now. And, and I am just so grateful for this program. I feel like my heavenly father saved my life so many times. I just can't thank him enough. I thank him every day for, for being my friend and loving me and bringing me to this program and, uh, and really just saving my life. And, um, I'm so grateful for the missionaries in this program and what they do for us every time we come to a meeting and, and them giving their time for us. And, and I'm so grateful for the atonement that, uh, you know, Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ gave us the ability to repent for the things that we've done. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'll say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thanks, Abra. My name's Scott, and I'm a recovering addict and alcoholic. Hi, Scott. Hi, Scott. Um, I started off with, with my addictions as a teenager. And I remember the first time I ever drank, I just felt so good, and it it was an easy way to avoid, you know, pain I was feeling at the time. And progressively over the years, I just kept drinking. And um, I didn't, I didn't really want to stop in the beginning. And by the age of about 23, I decided that I didn't really like it anymore. But by then, I I couldn't stop. And um, I couldn't sleep at night unless I had drank, and I couldn't function. And by the age of 26, my f- my first marriage, my my first my wife left, and and th- at that time, at that point, the the alcohol didn't work anymore, and so I I moved on to to drugs, and I sampled several different types of drugs that friends were more than willing to introduce me to and then I found myself addicted to crystal meth and um, within a matter of a year and a half I had I had lost everything I had I owned a home in Vegas you know with a pool and jacuzzi and I wasn't like a really nice home or anything but it was modest and you know within within a year and a half I'd lost everything and um, I was homeless and I had, I had moved to Southern California and, and, and didn't know anybody. I was just wandering around the streets, you know, for about three days. And, and I realized that I really wanted something different, bad. And 
I started to sober up because I had, I had burned so many bridges that I, I couldn't even um, get high anymore. And to me, money meant nothing and things meant nothing. It was only a means to get high. And, and so, therefore, I blew up all my money and I sold or pawned all my anything I got my hands on. Um, but at, at one point when I was wandering around the streets down there in California, I, I made a collect call and called my mom and just told her I was, I was done. And she bought a one-way bus ticket back from California to Provo. And when I got home, I got sober because I didn't have the opportunity to use anymore. I didn't know have any connections here in Utah. And so, but over the course of a couple months, I started meeting people and, and I'd relapsed a couple times and, and out of frustration and my, my dad found out about this program. He, he, uh, and love, you know, he just, he talked to the bishop and the bishop told him about this program and he, this was in 2002, and he brought me in to a 12-step meeting, and he was just desperate to try to help me. You know, my family loved me, and unfortunately, I all I cared about was was using, and I I couldn't stop. And um, by the by April of, of 2004, I had gone on this roller coaster ride through this this LDS twelve step program and I had had the most I'd ever had was almost a year clean, but ten days shy of a year I had relapsed and so I never actually re- reached a full year. And within three months after my relapse, by April of two thousand four I just like Robert, I found myself in Utah County Jail. Um, the only difference is I was facing two first-degree felonies, and um, my attorney told me the first time I met with them is, you're going to go to prison, and you might as well just accept it. And I remember going back to Utah County Jail just desperately begging Heavenly Father to just somehow work a miracle that I can just somehow avoid this. And, you know, with when I went for sentencing, they sentenced me to prison and told me 72 months in Utah State Prison. And so slowly over the years, I did six and a half years up in the prison. And just like Robert, my sobriety date is April 8th, 2004, the first Day that I, the day after that I was arrested, and um, over the course of those years, I I was able to attend this program in the prison because they have volunteers and they have missionaries that come in, and um, I was able to work through all the steps many many times. And Heavenly Father showed me that mercy where He gave me that time that I was able to focus on myself and to focus on the 12 steps because I know for sure that I could not have done it without he knew what he needed what I needed to do and what needed to happen in my life for me to get clean 
because I had tried everything else, you know, just like Robert and just like Abra had said, you know, he knew. And so for me, I'm, I'm over eight years clean now and slowly things are being restored to my life. I've, I've been out of prison now for two, almost two years and as I, I was able to meet my, my wife in this program and, you know, just, it's just amazing. I, I love the 12 steps and it's, it's like my second family now, you know, like we go and we see people in these rooms and it's like, they're our second family. We're, we're all here. We're all in the same boat, you know, and if we even have one day clean, then we're all in the same boat because it's a one day at a time program. And that's what I love about it is that all I have to do is focus on making it till, till midnight. And that's how I take my recovery program today. I don't worry about tomorrow. I don't worry about yesterday. I focus on today and just make it to midnight. And with that, I'll say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thanks, Thanks, Scott. My name's Cammie, and I'm a recovering addict. Hi, Hi Cammie. Um, I come to the meetings for my eating disorder, and I've had, well, I've been dealing with it since I was a little girl. And my parents, and no one knew, so I wasn't, I can relate to step one a lot till I came up to college and um, my roommates found out because I guess they, well, I wouldn't say they paid more attention, but maybe it was just in Heavenly Father's plan for them to find out. And um, I couldn't really deal with the, the load of being in school and everything, and I went to a psychiatrist, and at that point, the only way... And even though it was in Utah, the only thing she suggested for me um, to deal with, you know, any kind of addiction, and the only thing I had ever heard of was to go to rehab. And so, and I wanted to go because I couldn't really deal with any kind of life. I couldn't do anything except for my addiction. Um, And it did feel good to be honest with my my parents finally and um, so I went and um, I did inpatient care and outpatient care and um, pretty much right when I got out of uh, outpatient care I just went right back to the to my eating disorder and then um, I dealt with other things also and I didn't want to tell anybody and I think with a lot of addictions it's just lying why would you tell anyone about something that I mean I felt was so horrible and um so I just lied about it yeah I'm still doing really good and um almost I'm coming up on two years so almost two years ago um was um when I was least expecting it, I got caught for the last time, and um, it was the worst day of my life and the best day of my life. And um, 
I kind of thought it would be like my last day ever. I kind of thought my whole life was going to be over. And um, I called my mom and I told her what had been going on. And um, she was kind of freaking out also, like, what's going to happen? Like, um, I don't know what to do for you, Cammy. And um, she knew I had a good bishop. And she's just like, well, you need to call your bishop. So I called my bishop and I went and saw him. And he already knew about, you know, the issues I was dealing with. But I was being dishonest with him. And so I was finally honest with him. And. Um, that was, you know, the first step, just like in the 12 steps, um, this program, step number one, I just had to be honest. It's really hard, but, um, I'm just really grateful. I, you know, I remember kind of being scared to pray because, um, I was never really ready to get rid of my addictions, but. Um, in some ways I did want help, but I never wanted to pray to my Heavenly Father about it because I kind of thought something like getting caught would happen. So, um, but I'm just, um, really grateful for this program. Um, I, I never knew about it. And, um, I think even, you know, I told my grandma that I, go to LDS addiction recovery program she's like but you're not an alcoholic but it's for all types of addictions and you can go for it for anything and it can help you with anything and I'm so grateful for everything that it's done for me I love coming to these meetings because um, I feel at home and I never feel like anybody's judging me and it's the most comfortable place to come. And um, I'm so grateful for my Heavenly Father and the atonement and everything that he's blessed me with. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thanks, Thanks Kim. And I've been dealing with an addiction to pornography for 35 years. And along with that addiction, I learned, oh, probably 45 years ago, to, to hide my feelings. But you can only do that so long. They start, they need something, and... I stumbled across at age 15, something my brother had tucked away in a box, and found a new way to, to, to cope with my feelings. So for the next 35 years, when I was scared, feeling insecure, feeling not good enough in one way or another, I had a very effective tool to numb away those feelings. I guess that's why I'm so so willing to let them all come out at this point because I'm done numbing. 
the last six years since I've been attending addiction recovery meetings, I've come to learn a lot about honesty, largely by learning about myself, who I am, why I am the way I am, what my addiction was doing for me, because it very definitely did something for me. It numbed, it covered up the pain, it, it, it helped me cope with things I didn't have another way to cope with. And it didn't leave me feeling better, obviously, but it felt me, left me not feeling at all. Um, I heard someone say once, that's one thing about uh, addictions, you, they don't numb selectively, they numb everything. They numb the pain and the sadness and the depression, but they also numb love, joy, and happiness. And so my life was kind of just empty. Um, I'm still working on trying to fill the void <laughs> now that I'm feeling it at all, and, but I'm grateful to be, to be learning that. Um, the first five years that I had attended addiction recovery meetings, I definitely had improvements. Instead of 8, 10, 12, 16 hours a week looking for, I'm self-employed, and so I had my path. I would go throughout the day driving around and had my routines of all the stops, and I would spend many hours uh, being self-employed was not a good idea for that kind of an addict. So although my sobriety wasn't very long, the number of hours uh, greatly was improved as I started attending the meetings. I'm really grateful for that. But I had a lot of frustration over those first five years because it'd be a month, it'd be a week, it'd be a couple weeks, and I'd have a little slip again. And I just kept having them, kept having them. And we're talking about honesty particular, and for me, it, it was huge to finally realize what was going on. I was treating my Heavenly Father like my earthly father. He was there for emergencies. He provided necessities of life. He was there if I ever really asked for something, but I kind of had grown up learning you don't really ask for things. You just kind of take care of them yourself. So thus, that there's a scripture that says something to the effect of after all you can do, God does the rest, basically. Well, knowing myself as one that doesn't really ever do all I can do, and often I don't do very much, I, I assumed in my mind, well, since I never do all I can do, God probably isn't going to be able to do much for me because I, I don't ever quite earn that help. Someone along the way helped me begin honestly looking at what God had done for me. They kind of gave me an assignment to simply write six things I was grateful for every night. It was supposed to help heal the brain. And by doing that, I started realizing really quick, God was doing stuff for me every day. I started noticing things. After doing that for a while, I mean, it was supposed to do it for six weeks, I think. And, and after a while, I started looking at what he had done for me in the past and realized he'd been there all along, even when I wasn't looking for help, even when I wasn't really caring a whole lot about my addiction. I never really believed my addiction was okay. I had talked to probably 25 
bishops over the years. We moved a bunch, and I talked to every bishop, confessed. That that step was real easy for me because I was so used to confessing, and I kind of struggled with it all along, but I never really dealt with it because I wasn't honestly looking at the real problem. I was... I was very much into blaming, blaming my parents, blaming my kids, blaming my wife, blaming everyone. And I was very resentful that I wasn't having the kind of life I wanted and felt like I ought to be having. And that blame and that resentment just had me locked in my addiction. I couldn't get past feeling bad about what everyone else was doing to me. Once I finally started being a little bit more grateful and less resentful about God not being there for me either, I started looking at my parents differently. I started looking at my wife differently. And that resentment, without really trying or asking, God took that away from me. The day he did that, I started finding sobriety. And I started finding some real healing. And... I started realizing how those very people that I was resentful of and blaming towards really had been there for me all along, and they were really doing their best to try to love someone that wasn't really very much there emotionally for them. And I'm so grateful to a Heavenly Father that's so patient, so willing to work with me and my timetable. Although, it would have been nice if he'd answered a few prayers on my table, I've always felt like I had to wait so long for certain answers. But again, in hindsight, looking back, I go, boy, I learned so much in that process of waiting that I have to, at this point, when something's going wrong and it just keeps going wrong and I can't figure out why it's not coming, I just have to thank my only father for being patient patiently waiting to heal me, basically, because I've come to trust that he knows what he's doing far better than I do, and he can definitely manage my life better than I can. Um, last thing i like to share tonight is just how much, how important it is for me to remember that this is really a battle, not just for me as an addict, you as an addict, but for, but for everybody, Satan is the master spinmeister, will spin everything, use one extreme to the other, anything he can. And too often, I went from day to day not realizing that I was even in a battle, let alone realizing how much I was losing it, but just not even realizing Satan was there. And now that I realize he's there, I'm able to recognize how much he's interacting. He's in, right in the middle of every interaction, every relationship, every conversation, every judgment. He's in there whispering things on both sides and trying to, trying to mess with us. And just recognizing he's there has been real helpful to me. Having that light of honesty shined on, you know, shown on that interaction just for me is just so huge. And I'm so grateful to realize that that he's there, and at the same time realize that God's there for me too, and God has more power, more wisdom, and knows me better than Satan 
and he's able to to help me come off conquer and I'm so grateful for that and I leave it that witness and I do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thanks, Thanks Scott. Scott. I'm Lindsay. I'm an addict alcoholic. Hi, Hi Lindsay. Hi. I'm also a codependent, kind of addicted to anger, misery, depression, <laughs> food, anything else you can be addicted to, I'm addicted to. Um, I'm so grateful to be here today and grateful to be sober and really grateful to be in this group. I feel like I'm amongst angels and (laughs) really grateful to be here. Um, My step one, you know, I do step one every day. You know, I am powerless over people, places, and things, and that does not change. Um, The first time I feel like I really took a step one, though, was about two and a half years ago, um, and I found myself homeless. Um, I was living out of my car with my boyfriend at the time in California. I had abandoned my kids. Um, I have a four and a six-year-old now. They were um, two and four and a half then. Um, My mom took custody of them, and I had no contact with them for a couple years. I was living out of a car and um, doing drugs and pawning everything I had up to that point, so I lost everything. I was stealing, I was panhandling, begging for money, um, doing things that I never imagined that I would ever, ever, ever do in my wildest dreams to get my drug that I needed at that time. Um, And anyway, that day, two and a half years ago, I was arrested. I had um, cops were called on us, and we were arrested that morning. We woke up to the cop knocking on the window, and we opened the door up. And sure enough, they took us into jail that day. And um, I look back, and I consider those cops my angels. And it was divine intervention for sure from my Heavenly Father. He decided that day that it was my time to get sober and that I needed to. And looking back, I probably, I think I would be dead today if it wasn't for that. In fact, I know I would be dead. Um, I was already spiritually dead for sure, but I would have been dead physically as well. Um, I went to jail and I was so angry though at the time that I was in jail. I was so mad at those cops and I was, I was so mad at the neighbors that called the cops, you know, because it was their fault that those cops came and arrested me. And then I got out of jail, and my dad, you know, showed up like dads do, um, and I'm so grateful for him and, um, and his faith. And he showed up, and he gave me two options. He said, you can keep doing what you're doing, and I'm not going to be here for you, or you can get on an airplane and go back to Utah and go to treatment. And for some reason, I chose treatment. Um, to this day, I still don't know why, because I really didn't want sobriety at the time. Um, but I feel like, you know, Heavenly Father was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself that day. So I got in that airplane, and I, I went to treatment. And I checked into a residential treatment center, and I ran away twice in the first three weeks. I was so angry. I was in there. <laughs> How could I end up in a treatment center? You know, it was my dad's fault. How dare he put me on an airplane and manipulate me into going into treatment? So I found myself in this treatment center. A few weeks went on, and I needed to go to court and go before a judge um, because I had lots of charges and warrants out for my arrest that I needed to deal with. So I decided, I decided that I would go to court to deal with this matter, you know, um, before I got too far into treatment. So I went to court that day, and I got arrested in court, and I went to jail. And I spent um, two months in jail, but I remember I, in the, the holding cell, I was looking around and I was just so angry. <laughs> I was angry again. How could I have gotten to jail? You know, it was the treatment center's fault. They told me I had to go deal with these charges, even though that wasn't the case. But that's what I was thinking in my sick mind. 
Um, and so I just had so much anger and so much resentment, and I just blamed everyone except for myself. I could not look at myself, you know. I hated myself too much. I couldn't do that. Um, and for some reason, Heavenly Father stepped in again um, that first day that I was in jail. And for some reason, you know, it talks about in step one, coming face to face with reality. I finally had a moment of clarity that first day in jail, and I looked around and I realized I was the only one sitting in that jail cell. You know, my dad wasn't there, the treatment center wasn't there, my friends weren't there, my so-called boyfriend that I love so much, he was not there. Um, Nobody could save me except for me and my Heavenly Father. Um, And so there I was. I was in jail, and I, for the first time, feel like I took a step one, and I started to get honest with myself. And um, and, you know, I did the steps and they have awesome meetings in jail and I, I did all that and I got out and I went into treatment and I did all kinds of things. And I wish I could say that I stayed sober that whole time. Um, I stayed sober for a year and I went out for seven days and I got back on the wagon and now I have almost a year and a half again. Um, and that's another story, the relapse. But I feel like it was a part of my recovery and it was a part of my journey. And I am so grateful for that relapse today because it's what led me to this program and these 12 steps and the the church's addiction recovery program. It was because of that relapse and because of the addiction recovery program and these meetings, I have gained my hap- you know, the happy, joyous, and free that they talk about um, in the 12 steps and in AA. And I finally feel like I've gotten that through this program. Um, today I wake up and I am so free. Um, I just have this awesome life and I have opportunity after opportunity. I have gotten my kids back. Um, I got custody back of them and I get to be a mom today. I get to show up for them. I get to tuck them, <laughs> I get to tuck them in to bed at nighttime and, and kiss them on the forehead. And, and I know that, you know, they get to know that their mom is going to be there for them in the morning. And I am so grateful for that. And it's because of this program. And, you know, I am in school today and I am pursuing a career that I am so excited about. And I just was accepted into um, the substance abuse program to be a counselor um, at UVU. And I am so excited about that. And that is a direct result of this program, you know, in action. And I am just so grateful for each and every one of you because it's people... It's because of people that went before me and got sober before me, and I get to hear their stories. That is why I'm here today, and, you know, I'm sober. It's because of everyone else's support and their testimonies um, where I have found my testimony. So I have such a testimony that my Savior lives and that He loves each and every one of us so very much. He is there for us. His arm is outstretched, and it's up to us to grab it, but He is there always. I love each and every one of you, and I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hi, everyone. My name is Karen, and I'm a recovering drug addict. Hi, Karen. And I feel really humbled to be here tonight and to be among such incredible, um, strong people. Um, My story is a little bit different, but I know that we're exactly the same inside, which is kind of the funny thing about addiction, I think. But um, I grew up in a really strong Christian home and never partied and never used drugs and never smoked, never did anything. Went on a mission, got married in the temple, did all the stuff that we were supposed to do. And I never had an issue with any of this stuff until um, in my 30s. And I was a nurse at the time 
working full-time nights and working or going to school full-time days working on my master's degree and my husband wasn't working and I would pray I prayed for probably four or five years that I would be able to stay home with my kids I had four young kids at home and I really really just wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and that prayer wasn't answered and I right at that time um I had a miscarriage and was given some narcotics to deal with that, and that's when I realized that the drugs helped me for something other than physical pain. And as a nurse, I was a charge nurse um, in a very busy hospital unit. It very quickly progressed to IV narcotics that I got from the hospital. And I um, honestly did not think I had a problem the entire time I was doing it, which is just ridiculous thinking about it now. I mean, step one, um, I I would have been the last person to admit that I had any problem over this and that my, I was managing my life quite well until those dumb people fired me and, um, and made me go to get some treatment. And... Um, so unlike a lot of you that quit because you thought it was just time, well, um, I, was, I had to quit against my will, and I was not ready to quit, and I did not feel like I had a problem as far as I was concerned. I was controlling it very well, and that's not true. I was using more IV opiates than the largest do- doses of heroin that you can get on the street, but... It was fine for me, I thought, Um, but I went to my, I went to rehab, I went through the motions, and I wasn't using, and I thought I was cured, and, but I still, I still wasn't being honest with myself or admitting that I had a problem. Um, I got out of treatment, I had four or five months clean, until I, the first time I stumbled upon some pills, And I had never really been a pill abuser, so I figured this really wasn't my problem, so it's probably all right if I just go ahead and take these. And (laughs) um, shortly, very quickly, uh, got into trouble again. And um, this was six and a half years ago that this happened. And it was six and a half years ago when I started attending the LDS recovery meetings. When I got in trouble that second time with the pills, And the nursing board made me go back to rehab for the second time. It was then that I finally fell on my knees and said to my Heavenly Father, um, it doesn't matter what the drug is. It doesn't matter what the substance is or, or alcohol or whatever. It doesn't matter. I will do it in excess, and it is completely out of control for me, and I need help. And I, at that point, I surrendered basically my will to him and said um, I can't do this and I realized that I was powerless over this addiction I was powerless over these substances Um, so it definitely has not been all roses and candy the whole way but um, have had ups and downs for sure but I firmly believe that If we can't do step one, if a person can't thoroughly do step one, they might as well not go on because 
at least in my experience, and I've been coming for a long time. Well, I feel like it's a long time, not as long as some of you, but um, I feel like if you can't do that, if you can't admit that this isn't acceptable and that this isn't this is unmanageable, you really needn't move on. In fact, I've been talking to a friend of mine who who's been on and off and on and off for years and strong LDS man who used to be in the bishopric and and he just can't quit these drugs and he's progressed to the street drugs and everything and and I said to him just the other day just what it says in this book that we read that we have to become willing to abstain and that is um, if we don't have that desire we don't recognize that need to stop it's not going to do us any good and we have to become willing to, to make that step and I know how hard that is. I, I experienced that myself. I was on such high doses of medications, definitely enough to kill a normal person. About, I would say about 25 times the normal adult IV dose is what I was taking at the end. And um, I am so happy today to be free from that because it was a living hell. And um, I... I attribute my clean life and my my new life now to my Father in Heaven and to Jesus Christ. It's interesting that it talks in here about how we plunged into greater and greater isolation, separating ourselves from others, especially from God. It It took a while for me to realize that I had separated from Him and that I had prayed all this time that he would answer these, this prayer of mine, and I felt like he had abandoned me and that he wasn't listening to me. and that So therefore, I'm just going to go do this and, and numb the pain. But I realized I was very fortunate and didn't have any legal entanglements. So um, I felt very blessed for that. And, and other windows have opened constantly along my recovery way as doors have closed. And... Um, have a very successful career now and I'm still working in nursing just in a different part of nursing and um, almost done with my doctorate degree so I'm just really grateful that the Lord has given me not only a second chance but I can't even count how many chances he's given me because he has changed my life and he has changed me he's changed my nature um and I, there's just not words that can express what what my Savior has done for me. Um, I wish I could put it into words, but I can't. I know that our Savior lives and that He is real and that He took upon us our sins as well as our infirmities and our suffering and our struggles and everything else that that we do. And I'm so grateful for my life. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Thanks, Karen. Karen. Hi, Sharon. I'm an addict. Hi, Sharon. Sharon. What a great meeting this has been tonight. Um, For me, step one, I don't think I did just step one. I think by the time I got to that point, I did a one, two, and three on some level. Um, and my story is, we're all addicts, but my story is a little bit different. That is that I just celebrated 23 years of sobriety, and I'm 38 years old. I got clean a month away from my 15th birthday. Um, I come from an abuse that my, my 
home was abusive. My dad was a Vietnam vet and had post-traumatic stress and on alcohol. So it was never a good mix. And I'm one of seven kids. And what we dealt with with his abuse was awful. And my brother actually took his life about 12 years ago. He just never dealt with it. My other brother attempted suicide as well. Um, I come from a long line of addicts and alcoholics. If you go up to the Salt Lake City Cemetery, there's six right there. Um, Four first cousins are dead, three of them from this disease, and now their kids are dying from addiction. So um, the fact that I'm clean is really quite a miraculous miracle, and I can definitely say that comes from Heavenly Father and from the atonement. Um, What happened for me is my dad's Abuse was so so horrendous um, that I became a ran- runaway for the first time at 11 years old, and I uh, I got arrested and put in a treatment, <laughs> and um, got I would go into youth services treatment. Um, I, I got out of treatment for the first time, and then I met a man babysitting. I used to babysit for this man's family all the time, and I never really understood why I would babysit because there was always an adult there. On this particular day, there was one of their brothers there that, um, anyway, he had just gotten there from California with his family, and he was in his 30s, and I was babysitting, and he was there alone without his wife and kids, and he told me how pretty I was, and I never heard that before, and really from a man in a way like that. I didn't think too much of it at the time, except for I just knew I wanted to be around him more. And anyway, uh, he used to have me babysit, as you could say. Um, But eventually what happened is that he would give me drugs. Um, I've had drugs before prior to him with my brother and with friends. But his was different because um, he he began to show me what love was. In a way that was unhealthy. Um, I would go with him, run away with him. Um, he left his wife, his kids. I'm 11 years old, 12 with him, and I'm in this cycle. And I would get arrested as a runaway, go to treatment, go home to the same abusive dad, back to him. And this cycle perpetuated. I went through treatment six times before I got sober. I'm a two time graduate of Odyssey House before the age of 15. And I hear a lot of people want to go to prison rather than do Odyssey House. And I graduated it twice before 15. But what happened for me is the last time before I went to Odyssey House for the last time is that at the age of 14, um, well, prior to that, I had just gotten out of Odyssey House for the first time. And I got home and my dad's abuse was again the same, only this time it was seemed a little worse. And I went to my drug, not only this man, but I also, the drugs that came with them, cocaine, um, I never paid for it really, other than with my body and my spirit and everything in me. Um, I mean, I was, I was, that was love. That was the way I knew it. And so, anyway, um, I went, after my dad had called me the names that he always called me that were always horrible names. I mean, he had a sexual addiction, so you can only imagine what the names were. And you just don't know what all those mean at 11 and 12 and 13. You just know it hurts really bad coming from him. 
And so anyway, and then he hit me again and I went to this man and he said, that's it. He's not going to hurt you anymore. And we crossed state lines. And so it was the first time I ran away, um, crossing state lines. We went to California and I was there for a while, um, approaching probably a little over a month at this time. And, um, anyway, he started pursuing, he, now at this time he's almost 40 and I'm 14 and he's starting to pursue an 11 year old there. So I'm getting to be too old at the age of 14 for this man who's now almost 40, but he still wanted me around. And so he started taking me to the prostitution circles in California, um, with his cousin and, um, about a day before, I guess it was about a day before I was supposed to start that life, um, this man's brother called, and he was in my mom's ward. And, well, he, he was in our ward. I knew their whole family. I used to babysit for their whole family. But anyway, he called um, where we were, and he said, I know where you're at. You know, we were in a crack house in California. And he said, I know where you're at. I could turn you in on a heartbeat. But he goes, I also know your home life's crap, so I'm not going to do that. But your mom got up in church today and bore her testimony crying about where her teenage runaway daughter is. Could you please, please call her? And I just said that I can't do that because you didn't know. I didn't know that I just partially blamed her because she didn't make it stop. But you don't know at that age what what she was dealing with and the abuses that she was dealing with from him. And so anyway, but it did make me think. And I had a flashback um, of a memory. And it was just one. To my mom, the one thing to my mom's credit is she did teach us the gospel um, the best that she could. She worked 18 hours days because he wouldn't work. And he was in his underwear, drunk on the couch a lot. I was so... I knew what that word incomprehensible demoralization was before I ever took a drink or drug. I can tell you that. But she would teach us the gospel in her spare time. And there was an experience when I was eight where I watched that movie Ben. And the movie Ben is about the invasion of rats. And anyway, the next day, my dad had found a rat in the backyard. And it was dead. But as a little girl, I was like, oh, God, please don't let anything happen to us. Please don't let anything happen to us. Basically, the invasion of don't let the rats get us. And anyway, that was probably up until that point one of the most sincere prayers I ever had. I was eight, and really other than that, I hadn't prayed too much. But I remember that prayer, and I just thought, well, maybe prayer will work. Maybe. Anyway, the man came to get me to go out and and start hooking. But um, I told him I was sick when I wasn't lying. I was 90 pounds from the drugs. I was sick physically. I was sick emotionally. I was sick spiritually, sick mentally. And I got on my knees in this crack house, and I said, God, I don't even know if you're there. And I said, and if you are, I'm pretty darn sure you hate me. But I said, if this is really all there is in life, is to be a prostitute or to be abused at home anymore, I'm done. And I begged him. I can still remember it to this day, just begging Heavenly Father to take my life and just saying that I, was, I wanted to die, and I wanted to. And um, anyway, I could just I just couldn't imagine being a prostitute, that that was all my life was worth. And so anyway, um, I heard to turn myself in. I actually heard God tell me in that crack house to turn myself in. And, um, and I, I kind of argued with them for a little bit. I was like, really? <laughs> 
you know, what? Here I am begging for help. He's answering me, and I'm telling him, really? And so, but anyway, um, I I finally decided to surrender, and I went down to, um, there was another brother there they had in California, and we called the brother here in Utah, and we decided to make arrangements. And the deal was that I would take the, the, the brother there would pay for a Greyhound bus ticket back, and the other brother here would pick me up in Salt Lake, but the deal was no cops, that if there was cops when I got to the bus station that I was done, I wasn't doing that. And um, anyway, so they had to wait for the guy I was with to to go away for a while, and he did that, and they snuck me down to Greyhound bus and got me on the bus. And um, I pulled up to Salt Lake, and I'll still remember the paranoia looking for the cops, just because if they were there, I would have bolted and that's because that's what I did. I ran. And um, anyway, they weren't there. And um, I turned myself in. Um, after the man picked me up, I turned myself into youth services and um, let the chips fall where they may. I I just I didn't have much faith at the time, but with every faith I had, I, I knew what God had told me in that crack house. And um, I had been at youth services for probably an hour before the police came, and they had a rap sheet a mile long against that man, and they wanted me to testify, and I couldn't do it because he loved me, right? That's all I knew, really. But another hour after that, the police came and arrested me and took me to Odyssey House again. And while I was there, um, two things happened. God answered my prayers. Um, The man was arrested and he served a prison sentence in Lopoc, California, for sexual offenses towards children and for drugs, federal drug charges. And um, the other thing is my mom came, and she said that um, that my dad had threatened her and that an undercover officer had heard it. And the undercover officer then threatened my dad, and my dad left and never came back. And... He, I didn't know where he was for many years. I've, I just found out where the last year where he is, and and that's that's okay. Um, you know, he's just trying, kind of getting active again. But I still don't have the greatest relationship, and that may never come. But what happened for me is um, I realized that God had answered my prayers, and I, I was probably a good nine months clean. I'd gotten out of treatment, and. Um, when I had remembered, I had heard a lesson in seminary, actually, uh, from Mosiah 24, verse 14 and 15, but that if we yet trust God, and if we yet stand for witnesses for him, that he will deliver us from bondage. And I couldn't, I just couldn't deny that God had done that for me. And I went home that day from seminary, and I got on my knees again with my brothers and sisters using in the other room. And I got on my knees, and I just said, God, if you show me how to do this life clean, I'll do it. I just don't know how. And anyway, all I know is that God has answered that prayer, too, to be 23 years clean. Um, that today I'm a missionary and also in the addiction recovery program and to be able to go help other women. Um, I get to serve. I get to serve at a place where there's a lot of women who are former prostitutes. And it's... And it's quite a miracle to be able to show them that they are daughters of a God that love him, that that they love, that God loves them, but they are learning to love him just like I have. And I'm really grateful for the 12 steps. It's literally saved my life and it saved my children's life that I didn't even have at the time. And I'm just grateful to be here. And I say in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you all so much uh, for your participation. We'll now turn the time back to Elder Ennis. Thanks, Robert. Hi, I'm Elder Ennis. Hi, Elder Ennis. And it's uh, a wonderful opportunity to be here with you tonight. Uh, in the spirit of step one, in the spirit of honesty, uh, behind the name tag, uh, my name is Troy. And I am a son of God who has struggled with the addiction of pornography most of my life. And I am currently working on step 12 with the Lord in my life. So from personal experience, um, I love step one. I love the principle of honesty because it is a common thread throughout all of these steps. Uh, knowing from personal experience, uh, without the principle, without the concept of honesty, uh, there is no recovery. Um, you can only fool yourself so long, and um, there comes a point, there comes a time in your life where you have to own up and accept the fact. Uh, my personal experience has been... Um, after our fourth child, uh, we had moved, and, you know, in an addict's mind, it's constantly, okay, what's the next big thing that's going to happen in my life that's going to give me the strength and the power to overcome this thing that's in my life that I don't want? You know, and our first child, you know, actually back up, getting married was the first thing, you know, when I, when I thought, I'm going to get married that's going to be the time where I'm going to have the strength to overcome my addiction. Uh, then it went to the first child. Then it went to the second child. And it got to the point where we had moved. And once again, in my addict mind, it was, okay, this move, it's going to be a huge change in my life. And I'm going to be able to overcome my addiction. Uh, two or three months after we had moved, uh, once again, I had a relapse. And at that particular point in time, I can remember as clear. Uh, it was the first time I was honest with myself. And I knew that I had a problem. I knew that the addiction, that my habit, my addiction was bigger than I was and that I could not overcome it alone. So at that particular point in time, I went to my wife and... I discussed things with her, and I let her know exactly what was going on, and I pleaded for help. Uh, we went to our bishop, and uh, he sent us to a therapist that he knew. You know, um, at that particular point in, in my life, without the principle of honesty, uh, recovery could not begin. Um, you constantly fool yourself. You constantly dupe yourself into believing that you don't have a problem. And that's a common thread throughout every addiction. Uh, you're always pointing the fingers at other people, and it's their problem, or not their problem, but it's their problem that things aren't right in my life, rather than looking at your own life and looking at yourself in the mirror and being honest with yourself. Um, so honesty is a very, very key principle. Without honesty, uh, I can personally say that there is no recovery. Uh, without approaching uh, the principles of the gospel, without approaching these steps with an honest heart, uh, 
all you're doing is going through the motions. Uh, you need to be honest with yourself. My mind is called to a story um, in the life of our Savior. And I want to relate it to the 12-step program, uh, the addiction recovery program. At one point in our Savior's life, as he entered into a certain city, uh, there were ten men standing off in the distance, and they saw him, and they came to him. They were ten lepers, and they obviously came to Jesus to be healed. And they beseeched him and asked him to heal them. And instead of performing some grand miracle, instead of laying his hands physically upon them, he said something to them. He gave them some instructions that they were to follow. And obviously our Savior uh, based his healing upon their faithfulness to the, the instructions given to them. And those instructions were, go show yourselves to the priest. Jesus knew the law. He knew that these men, because they were lepers, they were outcasts. They were not citizens or accepted citizens. Uh, to be accepted back into society, he knew that they would have to go th before the priests, even once they were cleansed, uh, that they would need to go before a priest to be declared clean. And so Jesus, the record, the scripture, he tells them simply, Go show yourselves to the priest. And we know, as they did, they were healed. As they were obedient to the instructions that the Savior gave to them, they were healed. Now, taking that example in our Savior's life, the promise of this program, as found in the introduction, the promise is that through through the, the Savior's atonement, we can be freed. We can be liberated from our addictions. The chains of addictions can be removed, and we can overcome through the atonement of Jesus Christ. This program and the promise that it contains, we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to follow these principles as they have been outlined, and we need to apply them to our lives. It is a program of action, as we read earlier in the introduction. Just like the Savior's instruction to the lepers, as they were obedient to Him and to His Word, they were healed, as we are obedient to the Savior in these latter days. These are the instructions that have been inspired to be given to help reclaim lost individuals. They work. And as we apply them, these principles have a transforming power within our lives. I want to testify of that power. The Savior's power is real. I testify of Jesus Christ and His love. There is nothing beyond the reach of His atonement. Everything lies within His dominion. And as we honestly humble ourselves before Him, as we take step one and we come unto Him and we admit to ourselves that we're powerless over our addictions, He'll come to us. And the promise is that He will heal us, that He can heal us. In the Book of Mormon, in chapter 12 of Ether, uh, we are told that uh, 
that God's grace is sufficient for all who humble themselves. That grace, that help from heaven that only God can give, he says it's sufficient. It's not it might be enough. It's sufficient for all things. There's nothing that lies without the scope of the atonement. Everything lies within the scope of the atonement. Everything lies within the scope of our Savior's love. Everything is within His ability to heal and to mend. And I testify of that love. I testify of His ability to reclaim lost and broken souls and mend them. He knows how to do it. We just need to be honest with ourselves and humble ourselves and come unto Him. I testify of that love, and I do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thanks, Elder. Thanks. You bet. In closing, please remember that what has been shared here is confidential, and the opinions expressed here are those of the individual who expressed them and do not necessarily represent LDS Family Services or The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We encourage you to purchase a personal copy of the guide for note-taking during the meeting. We also recommend using the Studying and Understanding and Action Steps sections between meetings to build on what you have heard here and experienced in this meeting. Finally, we thank each of you for your participation. Your presence here demonstrates your humility and faith and inspires hope in everyone attending today. Would someone please volunteer to offer the closing prayer? Thank you. Our dear kind Heavenly Father, we are most grateful for the opportunity that we've had tonight to gather as brothers and sisters and to hear a message of recovery and share messages of recovery with each other. Lord, we are grateful for this program and we pray that many other people might find their way. We pray for our leaders, we pray for the prophet. And we just pray that your spirit to be with us and that what we've heard today, that we'll be able to take it with us and apply it into our lives. We love you, Father, and we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Find hope and connect with God and others who understand you through the Church's Addiction Recovery Program. Join us at a virtual or in-person support group meeting. Visit addictionrecovery.churchofjesuschrist.org to get started.